Welcome back, Richard. Here we are with our fifth installment of uh, what we thought was going to be a three installment. <laughs> yeah, that was the original, right? Let's do three quick things on uh, consequences or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's it's such a, a an interesting and, and challenging topic because <laughs> so many people think of, we all think about behavior and everybody who, who works with kids, you know, are dealing with how to manage behavior. And so, it, of course, is a much bigger topic than you can handle in um, a few short episodes. And so here we are with episode five. Right. In episode five, we finally got into the third leg of this um, project on managing behavior in children. You know, as we've said all along, one of the easiest ways to think about this is ABC. Right. And antecedent is all the events that occur before the behavior happens and the behavior itself, and then what happens after the behavior occurs. Right. And what happens after the behavior occurs is called a consequence. That's right. the C in the ABC. And a consequence can be something that you do, a mm -hmm. parent or a teacher. It can be something that the observers do. Um, uh, little kids make, um, some little child makes a comment and the entire family laughs, okay? Right. Well, that laughter is the consequence and it serves to reinforce the behavior. Right. Or the third thing is you can do something, you can perform a behavior and it just makes you feel good. And so the consequence is it makes me feel good. And so I like doing it. Um, teenagers and drug exper experimenting with drugs and they suddenly take a drug, they, they smoke their, they smoke marijuana and say, oh, this really makes me feel good. Well, that reinforces the likelihood that the, the behavior will occur again. Well, so. So consequences come in three forms. Absolutely. And it's that third one that's the most challenging because right. especially with younger children, I mean, mm -hmm. it makes sense with the example that you gave. If you, if you, you know, smoke marijuana, it, it you know, it relaxes you, it relieves anxiety right. and does some of those things. And so that, that makes intuitive sense. Right. But there are times when a kid will do something, especially a younger kids will do something because of the, because they enjoy doing it or, or because they're, so there's something internal that's driving it and we have no idea and they may not be able to tell you why that's they right may not be able to express well i do that because it you know it takes away this anxiety or it makes me feel whatever a teenager so, can express that right yeah so so teenage well hopefully teenagers and adults can express that but the younger kids can't and so right. that that third part of you know that that drives some of the behavior where they do something and it just feels good or there's some satisfaction that they experience afterwards. Um, that's, those are the really difficult ones because sometimes you just don't see, you don't know why. Right, exactly. And so we have words for these consequences. Um, if, a con if, if you get a desirable consequence and it maintains the behavior or increases the behavior, some people call that, um, Skinner called it reinforcement, some people call it a reward. You reward the behavior, you reinforce the behavior. That means it increases the likelihood that the behavior will occur again. Conversely, if you have an undesirable reaction, an undesirable consequence, and the behavior decreases, then we say the behavior has been punished. Notice that we didn't say the child has been punished. We said the behavior has been punished, okay? In both cases, we're talking about behavior. We don't reinforce or we reinforce and punish behavior. 
not people. And, and you gotta, you gotta, you gotta let that sink in because that's a fundamental understanding of what we're going to be talking about today when we talk about consequences. Right. And so, you know, when we think about some of the errors that people make as it relates to consequences, it, it's important that we, we point out a couple of things. And, and it's really just emphasizing the definition that you mentioned a moment ago. And that is that a consequence is anything that happens after a behavior occurs. Right. Right. For, for many reasons, I think parents, teachers, law enforcement, you know, anybody in, a, in an authority figure, uh, or authority position, um, they think of consequences as something that they have to do. That's right. That they that if a, a kid behaves in a particular way, they that for them to for the child to experience a consequence, they have to do something. Right. And so they wait until the behavior happens, and then they respond to the behavior, and right. then they you know they wait till the rule is broken, and then they they provide a consequence. Um, the, the 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 problem is is. First off, we've talked the last couple of weeks about the importance of antecedents. You know, there are many behaviors that we can prevent simply right. by um, addressing those things that happen before the behavior. Um, but again, as we're going to talk about today and, and maybe even another episode next week, um, there, we don't always have to do something for there to be a consequence. Right. Sometimes the best thing to do is to ignore it. Right. As with the temper tantrum. You know? Right. You know, we, we, there's a famous line in National Treasure where the police officers, somebody's got to go to jail, Ben. Somebody's got to go to jail. Well, maybe not. You know, you don't, you don't have to right. do anything. Right. So, so, so we have to think about, we have to think about the however, right? Because when we, when we do things the way that we typically do things, where we wait for the rule to be broken, we wait for the behavior to occur, and then we pounce and we jump on the child and we provide consequences um, and punishments and things like that. Um, we, we have to recognize that there are, conse there, there are consequences to those consequences. That's right. right. And, and um, you know, we, we often hear parents say, well, I have to have consequences. Like you said, you have to respond, right? And right. parents will often say, well, I have to have consequences. The child did something. I have to do something. I have to have right. a consequence. Well, not necessarily, and yes, you do, but, and this is a big but, um, and we have three or four of them here that we want you to think about when it comes to consequences. And the first one is consequences rarely produce a, we call it a home run. Um, right. my, the light goes off in my office periodically, and so right. it'll be back on in a second. <laughs> I'll look human again. It's not Halloween or anything. Um, consequences rarely produce a home run. We want them to produce a home run. We want to have an immediate effect, but that's usually not how it works. There aren't any home runs in parenting. Right. Parenting is a slow process. It's very slow progress. It's ever-changing. And I liken parenting to medication in children. When, when children. when we medicate children, we have to keep changing the medication or changing the dose. Right. The medication changes as the child changes, right. okay? And that's the same way with um, consequences. The consequences have to change as the child changes. So there's no specific thing, no, no particular consequence that you can use that's going to give you a home run. You're going to use many consequences over many years, and they're going to change as the child changes. Right. A absolutely. The, the second thing is that 
the, the consequence, and, and you, you talked about this a moment ago, the consequence should be aimed at the behavior, not at the child, not at the person. Um, you, you know, when we focus on the child, that's when we start to affect, in usually negative ways, we start to affect relationships. That's we right. start to affect the way in which you're interacting with the child, whether it's your 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 child or your student or something. Um, we we start to create in many time, many ways we start to create almost an adversarial relationship right. because then we both start to take it personal. You know, when when a when a child misbehaves or behaves in a way that we don't want them to. And then we provide a consequence or a punishment, as we were talking about. And then the child performs that behavior again. The parent tends to get more and more agitated every time. Right. Not because the behavior is that is worse than it was before, but because, you know, I, I you did this last time. I applied a consequence and a punishment, and now you're doing it again. You must be willfully disobeying me. You must be trying to make me upset. And so now we're taking it personal and it becomes more um, antagonistic in their, in their way that they're um, relating. And that's not good for anybody. Right. That's right. And, you know, when we were teaching school, we were always told, you don't tell the child that she's good. You, you, you reward the score. You know, you did very well on this test. Mm -hmm. Okay. You never want to give the message that you're good or bad based on your behavior. Right. You want, you want to focus just on the behavior. You want to focus just on the task. Um, I can see that you worked really hard, not, Oh, you're really a good student. Oh, you're really smart. So you don't want to attribute personally to the child, whether it's good good news or bad news. You don't want to make it about the child. You want to make it about the behavior or about the effort that the child is giving. Right. And, and that's when you're talking about particular behaviors. Now, of course, you're, you're going to be really personal when you're talking about your, your child and, and the relationship and those kinds of things. But, you know, if you're if your child, you know, breaks a rule, you're not going to call you're not going to say you're such a bad kid. Right. You're going to right. say, I, I, you know, I don't like that you're making these, you know, bad choices. Mm -hmm. um, you're focusing on the behavior. Now, right. all day long, you can talk about how much you love them and how much you how, how great you think they are. But when you're talking about particular behaviors, you need to focus on the behavior, not mm -hmm. attribute the behavior to the child, because that's, right. that's when we get into these hiccups. Right. Right. And one of the one of the major hiccups we run into is with rules. Um, there's much, much has been written about rules. And the, the I think the phrase that everybody recognizes is, well, you got to have rules. Oh, you have to have rules. Well, you you do. You, you might have to have rules, but you need to have more than rules. Right now, rules are OK in driving. You stop at a red light. That's a good rule to have. OK. And they're good in sports. Um what is the what is the biggest sin you can commit in uh, American foot uh, in soccer? In soccer, yeah. oh well, well, there's lots like like handball and things like that. Um, but like in football, it's targeting. You know, you right. cannot use the crown of the helmet um, and put and and hit somebody with the crown of the helmet. Like That's clear targeting. Okay, Hearing, yeah. it's, it's dangerous to the person doing it because you can break your neck and it's dangerous to the person receiving it because it's a lot of force in one small area, particularly right. if you hit somebody in the head. Right. If, and if you violate those rules, either driving or in sports, 
If you violate those rules, there will always be a consequence. The referee doesn't do it once in a while. If right. you target somebody, you're going to get called, you're going to get a penalty every time that happens. Okay. And so in sports and driving, that's okay. But most rules are about things that we don't allow people to do, like the Ten Commandments. Everyone starts with thou shalt not, what mm -hmm. you're not allowed to do. Code of conduct, uh, rules in sports and games. These are all things that you're not allowed to do. And they're usually developed to establish and maintain some type of order in the organization. Right. That's what, and, and, that's what most rules do. And, and oftentimes they're um, for safety reasons. Like, exactly. like all of the right. examples that we would give for driving or it, like you were talking about it, targeting and spearing in, 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 in American football, we're talking about safety related issues That's because right. if you do that, someone can be seriously injured. Right. Um, and so, so yeah, you need rules, but homes, what you have to remember is that a home and raising children in a home is not a sporting event and it's not a military unit. Right. You don't, so you don't, so you need to be careful about, yes, you need rules, but, okay. So when people say you have to have rules, what exactly does that mean? Right. Well, as you said, mostly it's about safety. Right. Okay. So, for example, we might say no hitting, no biting, no kicking. You can't hit or bite or kick your brother. Okay. Right. That's what most people. And you can't break windows and break, you can't break stuff. Okay. Right. So that's dangerous and destructive. And we we've talked about this before. So, yeah, you might have some rules about that. But everything else is kind of negotiable. Right. right? When we say, well, in our house, you're not allowed to cuss. Well, that's a rule in your house, but it might not be a rule in their friends' houses. Right. And, and think about what some of that means. Like, <clears throat> Richard, how many times have you talked to a, been talking to a kid and they said, you know, oh, you know, last night my brother, you know, he said the S word. And you're like, oh, all right, the S word. Um, and you're trying to figure out what's going on. And the, the S word was shut up. <laughs> okay. Well, now, now right. we're talking, we're, we're putting into a classification of cussing lots of other words, words mm -hmm. that the parent doesn't want the child saying because they're rude or because they're considered, you know, unsavory for some reason. Right. But we're, we're missing the purpose. Like we, we, we create these rules sometimes that are social constructs that right. are, that, that vary based upon circumstance. But at the same time, we don't really clearly define them in, in a way that makes operational sense to what the child is trying to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And so things like cussing or don't drink out of the container, <laughs> boys tend to drink milk or water out of the container. No, don't drink out of the container. Don't take food to your room. Mm -hmm. okay. These are the, ki the kinds of rules that parents establish um, and they vary from home to home, but, but they're socially constructed. They're social constructs. It's like, this is important to me, but it's not important to my wife or it's right. important in my house, but it's not important in my brother's house. So my kids go to my brother's house and they can do all those things. Right. right? Hitting and biting and kicking is always a problem, no matter where right. you are. It's not context specific. Right. And, 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 and I think that the other point to it is that you can, there are many times that a child will may cuss or may drink out of the container or, or take food to the room and the parent have no idea that it happened. That's right. That's and right. so, you know, if you, if you hit or kick or bite someone, someone's going to know, you right. know, if That's you right. break something, 
the parent's probably going to find out. Um, but these other things can happen lots of times without the parent ever knowing. And so, again, the idea here is that if, you, if you're going to have a rule, and again, the idea that the rules are there to maintain order and to keep people safe and all that kind of stuff, they have to be, they have to be able, you, you have to be able to maintain them consistently. Right. You have to be able to respond to them and uphold them consistently. There's rules when you're driving. You're not allowed to speed. Right. People speed all the time. And right. it's because they can get away with it. Right. If they couldn't, if you could never get away with it, if there was some trigger on your car that every time you went over the speed limit, police officer was notified and you were sent a, a, a speeding ticket, you would stop speeding. Right. That's right. Yeah. But that, that's not the case. And you, so, go, you go through a toll booth and don't mm -hmm. pay, you're going to get nailed every time. Every time. Right. So, so it's the same kind of thing with rules at home. If, you, if you're going to make a rule, it has to be a rule that you can maintain every single time. And, and that's why you have to restrict to the, to the dangerous and destructive things. That's right. Because if you have a rule, you can't take food into your room. In most cases, a child will get away with that. Okay. Mm -hmm. But every once in a while, you'll catch them. And mm -hmm. so now we have a game of cat and mouse. Now it's, I'm right. going to catch you if I can, okay? Right. I'm catching you. And again, it becomes personal. You know, mm -hmm. we're in this little, we're in this little contest to see if you can get away with it. And those are the kind of things that I would avoid. I would advise parents to avoid having the kinds of rules that you can't see every time they occur. There, there, there are better ways to deal with those sorts of things, okay? Rather than catching you. What you don't want to do is you don't want to get into a situation where your job as a parent is to catch your child being bad. Right. You know, that, that's what we want to avoid, is that my goal as a parent is to catch my child being bad. Right. Okay. Yeah. So the, another, another big one, Richard, and I know we've talked about this one before, and we'll, I know we have to go on to the next one, but um, lying. Yeah. We, we don't lie in our house. They, there, there's a rule against lying. Okay. Um, you know, that is, we set our kids up sometimes to lie to us. Right. Right. Um, your kid is ready to run out the door to go outside and play. And your last question is, do you have any homework? <laughs> the answer will be no. Whether he does or not, the answer will be no. He doesn't have homework. I can assure you that the answer will be no. So why ask that question? Why set them up? because you know he has homework because you right. probably already got a, a message home from the teacher or something. You're already right. his agenda. So you know, he has homework. Why even ask that question? Right. Why not say, Oh, nope. Before we go outside, we got to get that homework done. Go get your book bag and let's get it done real quick. That's that prevents the behavior. Right. That's right. So, so the question becomes when, when we talk about rules before we leave rules and get into expectations, are the rule in sports, are the rules meant to maintain order and guarantee safety, or are they meant to establish that I'm the parent and I'm in charge? And I think that's where you have to be careful because many parents say, well, this is a non-negotiable. We're not discussing this. This is absolutely, but you can't enforce it every time it occurs. You know, right. we do not take food into our rooms. You can't enforce that rule every time it occurs. Right. All right. So is it just a way for you to establish dominance or is it really just to maintain order? And, and maintaining order is about dangerous and destructive. Okay. Right. Those are the only two really rules that you need. So homes 
are homes are places where children are raised and homes have a, are a combination of rules and expectations. And I think we have to start thinking about how do I use rules and expectations? Right. Because rules are not the only way to maintain order in a family. We can also use expectations, okay? Um, what about expectations? Well, first of all, they have to be realistic. Absolutely. So many times um, the, the groundwork is laid very early on mm-hmm. for expectations that are ex- way too high. Right. You know, there. I, I'm, I'm sorry if this is the first time you ever heard this, parents, but your kids will not make good choices every time. It's just not going to happen. They're not going to obey every rule. They are not going to do their best every day. I don't do my best every day. Mm-hmm. Um, they are not going to always do what they're told every single time. Right. It's not going to happen. Um, right. So, so don't have that expectation. That's right. <laughs> they're, they're, they are going to do this. You know, there are parents who really believe that they can somehow prevent their children from experimenting with and or using drugs and alcohol. There is no way that you can prevent that. Otherwise you have to be with your child all the time. You'd have to go to all the bonfires and all the games and all the parties and be right there watching your child the whole time. Those kinds of things are going to happen. Kids are going to experiment. They're gonna push the envelope. They're gonna break rules. If you have too many rules, they're gonna break them. they're just going to do stuff that you don't want them to do. It's part of the process. Okay. So we have, to, you have to have the expectation that these things are going to happen. And then you have to have a plan for dealing with those things when they arise. And the plan isn't just to react emotionally to every time they do something wrong. They're going to do the wrong thing. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to defy you. They're going to be disobedient. All those things are going to happen. What you have to be careful of is you don't react emotionally and make it personal. Absolutely. And, and it's because it's that it, it is that that makes it um, or, or leads again to that unhealthy relationship um, right. between, between you and the kids. And as they get older, their job turns from figuring out who they are and, and trying to understand the world and how they fit in it to what can I get away with by hiding it from my parents? And that you don't want to put kids in a situation where they're working to be that deceitful. I mean, remember the, the, the ultimate goal of parenting, the ultimate goal of parenting is to raise children who become good human beings. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what we really need to do. Right. We, we want them to grow up to be people who make good choices, not because of fear of getting in trouble or getting caught, or anything like that, but because making the right choice is the right thing to do. Um, And that is a very different perspective to teach kids than um, if you break a rule, you're going to get punished. That's right. That's right. Because again, this is not an athletic contest. In a football game, we expect everybody to play by the rules. Every once in a while, a rule will be broken but it gets punished every time, every time the referee sees it. I mean, there are times when they don't see it, of course, but it's punished every time it occurs, okay? But that's not the way parenting works. Right. Because the expectation, in in football, the expectation is every player will be fair. In 
with raising children, the expectation is children are going to break the rules. Children are going to transgress. Children are going to lie. They're going to make mistakes. So it's a completely different set of expectations. Well, and, and let's let's point out one more big difference before we move on to the next thing. And that is, um, how long does a football game last? That's right. That's true. You know, you're not parenting for In an high hour. school is 48 minutes. Right. You're, you're not right. parenting for an hour. Right. You're, you're right. parenting for 24 hours every day. For so 20 years. There, even a referee, even even, um, you know, with the the video assisted refereeing and things like that. You can't do that 24 hours a day. Yeah, the cameras aren't running 24 hours a day as they are a football game. Yeah. So there's no instant replay. There's a funny commercial now about the instant replay that's playing on TV. Uh, Couples having an argument and they have an uh, an instant replay. We don't have an instant replay in parenting. Right. So, so, you know, we want to, to, create an environment where our kids can grow up in a healthy way. And, and to do that, you know, the, the idea is that they have to meet their age-appropriate developmental milestones. And, and, and that especially includes their social, emotional, and behavioral milestones. That's right. Um, and I think that's... That by that's, setting it, creating the environment. That's right. That's the key difference, that in parenting, we want to create children who achieve age-appropriate developmental milestones or developmental expectations. And so it's the parent job to create the situations to help children attain those. It's parenting is not just about making children obedient or about making them successful, but with it by having good grades or by being a good athlete or being a good musician. Parenting is about helping children to achieve age appropriate expectations. Right. And if you, if you define parenting as that role, rather than I have to make my child obedient and compliant and um, never do this and never do this and never, no. Your, your job is to create children at each developmental level who can manage, um, who can manage their lives, their own lives at that level, okay? So, so let's think about what, those, what some of those look like, right. all right? So by, by age five, Mm-hmm. A, a child should be able to play with others. They should yes. be able to clean up after they've played. Um, they shouldn't be having temper tantrums. Right. Um, and they, they should be able to help and in, in perform simple chores. That's right. If you're, that's, that's what you should be working on for the first five years because they have to go to kindergarten at age five. Right. And, and these are the expectations that, they're, that they can clean up their own messes. If you're still cleaning up after your child, you have some work to do. Right. You're not finished. Your parenting job isn't finished for that developmental stage by, right. by age eight. Um, mm-hmm. And we typically think of this like by the end of third grade or so. Right? Right. Um, mm-hmm. kids, should, um, kids should be emotionally regulated. They should be able That's to right. control their emotional reactions to things. Right. Um, we hope unless there's a learning disability or something like that, that they're reading at grade level mm-hmm. um, and that they can, you know, produce all of their speech sounds. They can, right. you know, we don't, we don't have any of the, um, the, the articulation difficulties that we see with younger kids That's right. um, and that they can take care of their things, belongings, their mm-hmm. assignments. And, um, you know, because by now we're wanting them to have some of that intrinsic motivation. That's, That's right. You should, see, you, should, you should be seeing the beginnings of intrinsic motivation because most first graders are motivated. Most second graders are motivated, but as they go through elementary school, motivation starts to wane. And so by the end of third grade, 
we really should see some definite signs that the child is interested in doing well in school um, on their own, not because they're being punished or rewarded, but, but it's something that's developing inside them that they realize this is important and they're going to do as well as they can. Right. Now, up to the age of 12 or so, mm-hmm. um, we, we have, we, as we've talked about in previous podcasts and stuff, we, we practice attachment parenting. You know, their right. parents are very involved, very engaged, um, and, and they're right there with the child as the child is going through some of these things, you know, letting the child have some independence and, and all when, uh, when appropriate, but you're pri- primarily practicing attachment parenting at that point. Right. By the time they reach 12, that has to transition. Right. We have to transition to more of a de- detachment parenting, right. allowing the child to now take some responsibility for themselves. Um, you know, when, when your kid gets in middle school, the middle school is going to expect the child to be able to take some responsibility for That's their right. behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to, they're, they're, it's not going to be like elementary school where, you know, you're going to get class dojo or you're going to get messages home from the teacher every day. They're going to go to middle school. They're going to have seven or eight teachers. Right. And those teachers are going to expect your your child to be able to maintain and keep up with everything. That's right. You can't be there every day. That's right. That your child knows what the assignment is, that they know how to do it, that they're doing it and turning it in. And if you start detachment parenting, if you start letting the child, the middle school child, if you let them start to take control of their lives, they're going to make some mistakes. They're going to fall short. But that's okay. That's mm-hmm. the time for that. Those are the years when they should learn from their mistakes. The, the middle school years are the best time for kids to learn from their mistakes. Don't worry about getting all A's in middle school. Worry about them learning how to do things on their own. And they're gonna fall short and they're gonna make mistakes. And that's okay, because they're gonna learn from those mistakes. Absolutely. And the other, because the other thing you should see at, at middle school, what, what should start to emerge in middle school is you get a sense that this child has decided that he or she is going to go to college. Mm-hmm. or not. Okay. Either not. one is okay. Okay. But at this point, you should have that first inkling that the child has some educational and vocational goals, that they plan to finish high school, that they plan to go to college, or they're going to finish high school and go to work. Those things should begin to emerge during the middle school years, because in high school, then they're going to be pursuing that on a day in day out basis. Absolutely. Now, um, by age, the, the next milestone, you know, again, you're practicing, now you're practicing detachment parenting. Right. And so by age 16, you should be able to, to trust your child to, to leave them alone. Um, mm-hmm. What that means is that they can ensure they're safe, that they can feed themselves, that they can, that they're going to get dressed and be where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there. Um, they should be able to manage their own schooling and other right. responsibilities. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you should be part of it at that point. Right. Um, and, and if we, if they are socially, um, you know, mature and, and passing through those developmental milestones appropriately, they should be demonstrating good empathy and, right. and, and all towards others um, and feeling empathetic and sensitive to the way that other people feel. Because, again, now the most important thing in their life is their social relationships. That's right. So you want them to have that ability to empathize with others. Yeah. Yeah. By the time, by the time a kid is 16, remember, I mean, the quick, easiest way to remember 16 is car keys because now you're handing the car keys, probably the family car, right. In most cases to your child 
Mm-hmm. That means you're not going to be there. That mm-hmm. child is going to get in the car and drive away and you're not there. So they have to be trusted when mm-hmm. they're alone. Well, you don't go from that trust has to be developed over time and, and it begins at age 12. And so you have four years to develop that trust that when you hand her the car keys, that she's going to do what's expected legally and according to the arrangements that you've made. And the other thing is, is, is empathy. And middle schoolers tend to be very difficult, very hard on each other. Okay. Uh, they, they don't have a lot of empathy. It's right. very competitive. It can be very, a very cruel environment. High schools can, should be less so because at that point, kids should be bullying less and right. they should have more empathy for the underdog. You know, they should be saying, and, you know, it's really not fair that we, we keep picking on this kid. It's really not his fault. Right. Uh, let's back off, you know, so that you, you should be, see the beginnings of some empathy by the time they're 16, 17 years old. Right. And then, of course, by, by 18, by the time they're walking across the stage for graduation, your child should be in a position where they can function independently. Um, they, 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 they don't need you. They don't need supports. Um, you know, they may not have a job yet to where they can financially support themselves independently, but they should be able to function independently otherwise. Um, and they should be mindful of other people. You know, it's so difficult when you, you have kids now, young adults who, you know, are, are completely disregard or don't even recognize what's happening around them, what, what was going on with other people. And it makes it for a very difficult transition into adulthood when they can't um, appreciate what others are going through or what's happening to other people or how their behavior, their choices affect and influence other people. Right. And so they, they need to have some um, sensitivity and, and to be others, other centered, you know, centered on other people as opposed to just themselves. That's um, right. And how many, you know, how many of us do that as a parent to ensure that one of our goals as a parent is to make sure that by the time our child is 18, that they are other centered and they're no longer being a bully and they're no longer teasing people because they're overweight or too tall or too thin. I mean, that should be over. Kids who go to college and they're still teasing and bullying other kids we start to worry about people who are 18 and older and they're still doing things that might be appropriate in elementary and middle school, but they aren't appropriate in high school and college. Absolutely. Um, so, so yes, they should be, have made a decision by the time they walked across the stage, am I going to college? Am I going to get a full-time job or I'm going to go into the military? Those decisions should be made by the time they're 18. Right. Absolutely. So, so across the developmental span um, mm-hmm. of, of childhood, you know, we, we have these sort of um, hallmark um, and, and, and mark, road markers um, right. to, to let us know what they should be doing at what stage. Um, again, you know, we sort of have this from the parenting perspective, we have this, these two acts, we have the detachment or the attachment parenting from, from birth to about 12 years of age. And then after that point, we're practicing more detachment parenting. We've talked about that in in other podcasts. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I think that next week, (laughs) as we go into episode six of of this (laughs) now much longer than we anticipated series, we need to talk about um, other things related to, to consequences especially 
you know, how do you choose a consequence? Um, what is an appropriate consequence, you know, when a parent does have to respond to a child's behavior? Um, what is an appropriate consequence for different settings? And, and Richard, we really have to spend some time talking about natural consequences. I agree. Yeah, we, we kind of ignore those when we talk to parents and we really, they, they should be right there in the middle of the discussion. Yeah, there's, um, you know, we, we talk a lot in, in our sessions with patients and families uh, about naturally occurring consequences. And um, it, it seems like a concept that some grab a hold of very easily, but others really struggle with. And so we'll talk about that a little bit next week as well. Mm -hmm. um, but we're still just sort of scratching the surface when it comes to what we right. do to see about consequences. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that is it for this week. Until next week, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.